the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernil, and we are delighted to welcome you on board. Carol, a nationally known gerontologist, chairman of the board of the National Council on Aging, executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, and an all-around good person. Well, thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. And a Trinity University graduate. That's true, too. So... We have a very special guest who you have known for a long time. Well, I have had the pleasure of working with Lucy Berrylack, um, who's from Montreal, for, oh golly, I guess it's about nine years now, I'm thinking about it, and by happy coincidence, she's in San Antonio and actually in the studio, so direct from Montreal to San Antonio. Well, we look forward to talking to her because she knows... And has forgotten more about caregiving than any of us ever knew. That's right. And you know, we can, um, we, we'll talk about that. But, you know, for, for all the caregivers that are listening, today is a real treat. Well, we look forward to it. And before we welcome Lucy onto our show, uh, I've got a question for you, Carol. When you, when you take a look at the number of falls that seniors suffer, uh, the statistics are extraordinary. And the risk of falling is great. And if you've fallen once... Odds are you'll fall again. So is there a right way to fall? Well, you know, you ask the right question because a lot of people don't realize that one in three people over the age of 60 will fall. So there's three of us here in the studio today. So the odds are in the next year, one of us is going to have a fall. Not necessarily we're going to get hurt, but, I mean, that's those are the odds. And they're very, very high, and there are a lot of injuries. So the New York Times had an article on the right way to fall, which when you think about it makes perfect sense. Um, I took a ski lessons inside a gymnasium where we learned to snow ski inside a room. So this was a gym where they had built a ski slope um, and it had artificial turf. And the first thing we had to learn was how to fall. Um, a, because it, fall and stop. Um, we had to learn how to stop so we didn't crash into the gym wall. And fall, uh, because there's a right, you know, if you don't fall correctly, you know, you're really going to get hurt when you're skiing. But that, that applies to just walking, falling. You know, we really do need to know how to do this. So how did they show you how to fall? So, you know, the trick to falling is, um, you know, it, you've seen the cartoons where the people just fall and they fall flat back. Right. All right. So you don't want your head to hit the ground. Um, You need to protect your head. So if you know you're going to fall, you need to tuck your head in and don't let it bounce on anything. It's not good on the outside of your head. It's not good on the inside of your head. And we probably all know someone who's fallen and either died from a a traumatic brain injury or a closed head injury or certainly been injured. So we don't want to bounce our head. And the other thing is we don't want to what they call foosh which is falling with your um, your outstretched hands. My mother broke both her wrists that way. And that's exactly what happens. So if you try to break your fall stiff-armed with your hands, then you're most likely, A, going to break your hands or your wrists, or B, you're going to land on your knees and you're going to break a kneecap. Ooh. Because when you hit with your hands, what's the first thing? The rest of your body weight falls, and that's your knees that are falling and hitting the ground. So you, we need to learn to fall like the paratroopers do. So think about, picture someone with a parachute coming down. What do they do when they hit the ground? They roll. They roll. They distribute all of that falling energy through their whole body. You know, and, and actually, probably a lot of us have heard stories of people who are drunk that you know either were in a car accident or fell and didn't get hurt at all. Well, guess what? It's because they didn't tense up. So think about falling where you have the most cushion, as opposed to where you have bone. So the places that if you're going to fall, 
You need to turn your weight. Your backside's a nice place, especially if you're a woman. Got a little padding there. Your shoulders have more padding. Um, So you're going to go for the fleshy part of your body as opposed to falling where you have the bones are going to hit and they might break. But but in that instant where you're going down, how do you think of all that? I, I fell along the river walk two years ago at the river parade. The sidewalks are jammed with people. Uh, so Gene and I were up walking through a flower bed to get away from all the folks to get back to our car. And we stepped off a wall, which was higher up than I thought. And boom, I went down, skidded, knocked seven empty chairs into the river. Very good. That was and, quite dramatic. And uh, I, I rolled a little bit on my side, and I popped up, and one guy in the crowd says, There's that Ron Aaron. <laughs> That's right. Nothing like being a, exactly. a, a radio personality yeah. and publicly falling. Well, but yeah. were you thinking about where, how you were going to land as you were falling? Do you remember thinking about it? No. See, I, I, was, a, I was worried I would really get hurt. You were worried that you – well, yeah. and, and I think falling off of a, a height is different than tripping and falling because I can remember – well, I've done that too. Well, I, I was carrying. I was carrying my husband's German beer steins that I was. We had moved into a new place, and he lived in Germany. and And I walked past the dishwasher door that was down, that which, and I caught my leg on the dishwasher door, and I was. I went down face first. Oh. So I'm holding oh. this. I've got multiple beer steins in my hands, like three or more. I can't remember. And all I can think of is I'm headed face first into the floor. These glasses are going to break, and they're going to shatter in my face. Right. And so I remember, it's like one of those football things, I remember twisting it to, to make the beer steins twist up in the air so that I actually landed, I hit shoulder first. Wow. Um, just because I was so afraid of the glass. So, you know, I, you know we... You may not always have the opportunity to think, but there are physical therapists and there are balance programs. There are people who can teach you to fall. And so, you know, that would be good training for all of us. Uh, and, and if you are falling, you know, think about how you're about to land. If you can pull that off, if you've got any chance of twisting or moving and landing on the soft, squishy parts, thighs, shoulders, buttocks, do it. We work with a guy at uh, WellMed. Uh, Dick is his first name, I won't embarrass him on the air, who went skydiving. Uh, and they all talked about how do you land, how do you land. Uh, he came down, broke his tailbone because he landed flat on his butt and didn't roll nothing, just boom. Yeah, but that's bone. Yeah, Ooh. on the tailbone, oh. it's not the soft part. No, he missed the soft part. Yeah, missing the soft part. And with all due respect, at the time, he had a lot of soft part, but he missed the soft part <laughs> entirely. It's hard. It's hard. But, you know, um, that I don't think he had a lot of practice skydiving. Now, I that think was that his only his time. First and only jump. Yeah, probably. That's why I'm not going to do it. <laughs> By the way, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel, and we are about to be joined by Lucy Berrylack, who will be with us in just a couple of moments uh, from Montreal and has been a consultant and an educator in the field of seniors and senior issues. We'll talk with her coming up next on Caregiver SOS on air. But first, all right, look. We're all living longer. We know that. If you look at the statistics, it's amazing. What, 10,000 baby boomers a day are are turning 65, and we're living into our 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. Are we living better? Well, another good question, and there was a report that came out recently that was asking that on a global scale, not just in the United States. So picture this. There's 900 million people over the age of 60 in the world today. 900 million. 900 million. Boy, if you lined up all... Talk about gray power. Yes. Why wouldn't that be fantastic? Oh, yeah. So they were looking... You know, a report came out in about 2002 that was kind of a plan for a, a world report on aging and health. And they wanted to go back and look at it 15 years later uh, and say, how are we doing? And so what we realized is that, yes, we're living longer, but we're not necessarily living healthier lives. Um, and we don't always have a life... Uh, that has purpose. So, you know, there are some countries that are actually, like Japan, will lose 20% of their population by the year 2050. I mean, tw- literally 20% of their population goes away um, at, in the year 2050. And South Korea and Germany are right behind them. Uh, and these are countries with high old age, and they're countries where the older people themselves are worried about maintaining an adequate standard of living. So it's not just in the United States where we have fixed incomes that people are saying, A, I'm not sure I'm going to have enough money. 
be. I'm not sure I'm going to have the health that I want. Um, and Lucy and I were talking before the show about uh, how we as baby boomers, for those of us who are baby boomers, born between 1946 and 1964, um, many people are actually living in worse health. We're not as healthy as the generation in front of us because we're too sedentary. We've watched too much TV. We've eaten too many junk foods. We've got a lot of diabetes. Um, and poor health really plays an impact on your quality of life in old age. I was talking to someone that I think the beginning of the end for the American human species was the invention of the TV remote control. Well, that, that may be, I think I that may began be able to it. trace it back. That and the garage door opener. I can remember uh, growing up as a kid, my folks had a double garage door, but no opener. So we'd pull in the driveway, my dad get out of the car, if my mother, if she was the one uh, who was taking us, and they'd get out and they'd raise the garage door and lift it up and then get back in the car and pull the car into the garage. Today, you hit a button. There's, we have a lot of buttons. A lot of buttons. A lot of buttons. And, you know, the bottom line on this report is that we are living longer, but we're not living better. So what do we um, do about it? And so what we can do about it is if we're caregivers... You know, we can remember what our friend Dr. Heisman says about taking our oxygen first, taking care of ourselves, making sure that we get our checkups and get our exercise and get our rest as much as possible. Um, And we want our loved one, too. But, you know, lifelong health, it's never too late to exercise. It's never too late to change your eating habits. It's never too late to get a little more sunshine in your life. Um, So you you have to choose it. Wow. You, You just have to make that choice. Got about two minutes left. We can fit some of this next question in. You have come across seven daily practices that turn out to be bad for our hearts. Yes, and the number picture for number one is a remote control saying we're set in our ways uh, and we're sitting in our ways, and it's too much TV. We are too sedentary, and sitting um, is the new smoking. You know, you hear that a lot now. That too much sitting. Uh, and being sedentary is the equivalent of smoking two packs a day in terms of its impact on your health. Wow. So we need to get up periodically, get up, stretch, do jumping walks, take a walk around the house. The more sedentary you are, the higher the risk you have for heart disease. See, when I was a kid, I was my parents' remote control. Ronnie, will you change the station? I know. Plus, you do the antenna. Now stand on one leg. Now hold it and adjust it. Well, that tells you how old I am. (laughs) I don't know what an antenna is. Um, The second one that they talk about is is one of the, you know, something here in Texas we eat a lot of, and that's red meat. We love our red meat, our beef, our barbecue, um, and the really bad ones, and I hate to say this because everything tastes better with bacon, bacon, ham, and, um, you know, all those steaks. There are links to cancer, and there are links to Alzheimer's disease with red meat. Really? Yes, really. And I say that with, you know, much sadness. Because we eat red meat. <laughs> because we do like barbecue at my house, I must confess. And that's, you know, that's the kind that's kind of blackened. Um, number three on the list is if you don't sleep well. We're not talking about you've had too much caffeine. But if you really habitually do not get your seven hours of sleep, um, that's dangerous. Number four is um, you don't take care of your teeth. And we talked about that, I think, on our last show. People that don't floss, people that don't take care of their gums, all kinds of bacteria live in your mouth, and that bacteria can get into your bloodstream. So taking care of your teeth, it's a huge part of taking care of your health. Wow. Really, Next really show, fun. we'll pick up the rest of these. We'll pick up the rest Next of Next week. Them. Stay tuned. Oh, my gosh. Stay tuned. You mean we have a cliffhanger? Yes, a cliffhanger. Excellent. One of the final three. You'll hear it here on Caregiver SOS on air. Next week, I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zerniel. And Lucy Berilak joins us in just a couple of moments. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues. We've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it but with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio. And get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff, we come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. 
on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. This is Sam Donaldson. 50 years in the news business taught me that each day brings a new story. Retirement is just the beginning of a lifelong adventure if we keep learning, stay active, and give back. All secrets to healthy aging. That's what Oasis is about. Explore our history. Take a fitness class. Tutor a child. It's your time to try something new at Oasis. Call 210-236-5954 or oasisnet.org forward slash San Antonio. We are rocking right along on Caregiver SOS on air, Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. And we take just a moment uh, to welcome to our Caregiver SOS on air program, Lucy Berilak. And before we bring Lucy to our microphone, Carol, how did the two of you meet? Uh, we met putting together a grant for the Harry and Jeanette Weinberg Foundation. It was our very own caregiver teleconnection, which Lucy had already developed and was operating in Canada. Uh, and we met through our friend Jamie Heisman, um, who introduced us, and we were able to bring the Caregiver Teleconnection to the United States. And the beauty of that program, it's the lowest technology that links and hooks people up. That's right. You just need a telephone, um, and you can go to caregiversos.org and learn all about the Caregiver Teleconnection. Well, Lucy is joining us with a master's degree in social work from McGill University, presently works as a consultant for the university-affiliated center in West Central Montreal Health Network, previously worked as a coordinator for research, teaching, leadership, publishing, and transference of knowledge for caregiver support. But more importantly, in 2003 and 2012, she was honored to receive the Queen's Jubilee Award. Is that like being knighted? <laughs> Almost. You get a medal. <laughs> well, first of all, I want to say I'm so happy to be in San Antonio. What a great city. And I feel so welcomed here. Thank you, Carol. Uh, Queen Jubilee Award. Well, Canadians, we do have a queen, and it's Queen Elizabeth. And every 10 years, she sort of has a Queen Jubilee Award for Canadians who have made a difference in uh, society uh, that have brought something back to Canada. And I was honored by um, for the work that I did for caregivers, for actually uh, developing, uh, we have a caregiver coalition across Canada, and so that's what I got it for. And how did you get involved in th that kind of work? Well, I mean, originally as a social worker, I was frontline worker in, uh, in a home care department. And in the early 90s, kind of showing my age, I was only 10, haha, um, uh, we, uh, I recognized, we didn't call them care caregivers, we recognized that family members were having a hard time and especially elder ones. And so what uh, I decided to do is sort of really find out what others felt about it. So we organized a, a two-day session across Canada, and we invited practitioners and caregivers, which we didn't call them then, family members, and we sort of had a roundtable discussing what's going on, and that's where the whole notion of having a Canadian Caregiver Coalition came forth, and we sort of decided it's time that we champion for caregivers. And are caregivers given the kind of recognition that uh, they clearly deserve? Is there any kind of monetary stipend for caregivers? Is there government support for that work? Well, you have to keep in mind that Canada has social kind of a health care system. So yes, I would say yes. And the work that I was doing with other researchers in Quebec um, sort of making sure that caregivers are recognized in the healthcare system, that caregivers do have a choice, that we shouldn't just expect caregivers to do all the work themselves. So yes, there's many programs that have been developed. However, having said that, there's still a lot more that needs to be done. So in those early days, what were the, where, where were the holes? What did you find that caregivers needed? Well, at the time, it, the, the whole responsibility, and especially for the older, and a lot of them were wives, really, women, who were caring for their husbands, for their spouses. What a lot of these people were not even have, didn't even have the opportunity to even go to their own doctor to have a checkup. We recognized somehow we had to give these people respite, a time off, so that they can actually uh, take care of themselves as well. And so, basically. In the early 90s, we created what we call the Caregiver Support Center, 
where one of the programs was a drop-in where caregivers could actually drop off their family member anytime during the day and have time on their own. And it was supplemented, so it was kind of free. So it was easy and accessible to everybody. And they didn't have to have reservations in advance. No. It really was just drop off. Yeah, absolutely. You could drop them off anytime during our hours, uh, and you could drop them off for an hour or three hours, whatever the time is, and we made sure that we took care of these people. So do you still have that type of respite today, and is we, it still free? Yes, we still do. Oh, man. we all Okay, There's you hear all that shuffling sound? It's people going to Canada. But I don't want to make it sound that we're perfect. We're far from it. You know, we, uh, as a matter of fact, Carol and I were just talking about uh, I develop a policy brief on caregivers uh, as a human rights issue. And so we started recognizing caregivers' rights, but we have to go beyond that. And what would some of those rights be? Well, I mean, if you look, I don't have the document with me, but if you look at the Declaration of Human Rights, the whole idea that you are, you know, we have the right to have leisure, we have the right to be have employment, and as we know, a lot of caregivers have to give up their jobs, which has an impact on their um, old age, which has an impact on the, on, on, on the economy. Um, everyone has the right to education, and we know that there's a lot of young caregivers today that don't have the education. They do, even grandchildren that give up, and a lot of grandparents who are taking care of grandchildren. Well, and the, the work that Lucy's been doing, um, you know, this is really kind of new thinking in terms of human rights. We're talking about United Nations human rights. What are the most basic rights that you as a human being should have? I mean, how is it that being a caregiver takes away those rights? And so Lucy um, and I, um, along with Dr. Uh, Lita Revelo-Fletches, will be speaking in Chicago next month oh, cool. at a symposium on the American Society on Aging to take this issue um, out in front <laughs> on the national scene and really start right. thinking about it in the United States. I think one of the things that sort of when we talk about it, I think people need to have choices in life, you know? <coughs> Sorry. Um, besides being involved in working, I, on a personal level, was a caregiver to my mother for 10 years. And I remember one uh, situation where she had diabetes and she was on insulin. And the nurse came into the house, um, didn't ask me how I'm doing, didn't ask whether I'm working, whether I have a family, whether I have children, how do I balance my life, and said, let me train you to give your mother insulin shots. Well, I faint just having a needle. Can you imagine? And I said, I don't think I can do this. I was not looked upon very favorably by that nurse. So I guess what we recognize is people have a choice. Um, and if someone doesn't want to take care of somebody at home, it's okay. It doesn't necessarily mean that everyone should be at home. So I think a lot of our research that we did, especially with Nancy Guberman, was around these issues. We have to look at caregivers as partners in care. It's interesting you talk about that choice because as a society here in the States as well as Canada, you mentioned earlier that most of the caregivers turned out to be women. It's true here as well. If you're a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sister, you are seen to have that responsibility and rarely is that burden, quote, burden, put on the male. Well, it's changing. it's changing. I mean, yeah, because it it's is. about 40% male yes. caregivers now. I mean, and I think that really is a, a recent change. It is, yes, for sure. Would you say it that in changing. Canada as well? Yes, absolutely. Because in the early days, we would see the older, you know, a wife bringing her um, husband to the drop-in. And now we do see sons being much more involved and husbands. And when we talk about caregiving, we're not just talking about seniors or elderly. Right, right. We're talking right across the scope. So, yeah, we do see a change in that for sure. Well, yeah. do you see a difference between the way women approach caregiving and the way men approach caregiving? Have you taken any notice of anything? Uh, there is a difference, I have to say, but we also have to take into consideration cultural differences, okay, and expectations in certain cultures. So what are some of the differences? Because you had a wicked little laugh there as she asked you that question. Um, you mean in men and women? Yes. Okay. Um, I think that, interestingly enough, we did a study that – practitioners, social workers, or anybody in the healthcare field has a softer spot when it comes to men 
Ah, oh, so that would be okay if the man said, oh, I'm not going to give uh, my mom a shot. It, yes, or or they will put in more services because the man they really doesn't know how to cook or maybe wash um, clothes. So we looked at that, and we were quite fascinated and think that's just that's something's wrong here. It's discriminatory. It's discriminating. So this is what we found, and it's a, it's a very interesting thing to even look at it a little bit further. And well, that's interesting. <laughs> when you know, when we've looked at men versus women, um, and this is more anecdotal, you know, m- there are, are men tend to approach caregiving more like business, um, and so you know they they're setting up the service, they're getting things arranged, much more likely to accept help as well as maybe be offered. It's like, yeah, sure, help, great, I'll take it. And women generally. No, no, no. I can do. I'll take. I, I can. You know, we 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 ha- we know we can do it better. Well, it's not only we can do it better, but nobody can do it as well as, well we, as we can. We're going to pick this up in just a minute. And I want to touch on something, Lucy, that brings you here to San Antonio, a workshop that uh, you've been providing on medication and seniors and caregivers. We're going to talk about that and more on 930 AM, The Answer. Caregiver SOS on air is who you found. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And remember, all of our shows are available on podcast. All you have to do is go to caregiversos.org, and you can find the podcast for each and every one of our shows. And we thank you so much for listening, and we encourage you to tell a friend, tell a neighbor. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio. We come to you every week at 6 p.m. on Sunday afternoons. And uh, show immediately before our show is WellMed Radio, and we hope you join us for that show as well at 5. Our special guest today is Lucy Berrylack. She's been a consultant to WellMed uh, over the past nine-plus years on a variety of issues. And one of those uh, relates to a workshop that Lucy was providing here in San Antonio recently uh, on seniors and medication and caregivers. Uh, Is it a challenge? Is it a problem? It is a problem. I think medication in general is a problem. I think people uh, assume that medication is only prescription medication, but it's not. It's over-the-counter medication. It's uh, vitamins. It's minerals. It's all kinds of things that can interact and create lots of problems. So back uh, back home in Montreal, uh, it wasn't just in Quebec, but across Canada, we developed a, a guide for seniors uh, and primarily for caregivers in safe use of medication. So what we did is we developed the training, and uh, WellMed wanted us to do that, so we sort of partnered up with a research team at the University of Texas, and we were giving these sessions, and now we're looking to see, in fact, how beneficial was it. So I'll give you an example when you think of uh, safe use of medication. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Where do you keep your medication? I'm not going to tell you because it's in the wrong place. Okay. (laughs) It's in the bathroom. And you, Carol? Yeah, kitchen counter and in the bathroom. The worst place you can leave your medication is in the bathroom. Don't you hate it when the guests (laughs) ask us questions and we get the answers wrong? Yeah, I'm sorry. Lucy had to leave so quickly. Oh, really? Oh, bye. (laughs) Thanks for coming in, Lucy. Well, you just failed. (laughs) But where else can you keep it? Well, first of all, let me tell you why not. Because of the heat and the moisture in the in the cabinet will affect the medication. So you don't want to keep it there. You need to keep it in a dark place, a dry place, definitely not in the kitchen, not when where there's a sun shining, in your little cupboard, and you got to keep your pills all together. I mean, this is just one thing, but it goes beyond that. But it, I keep it in, in the bathroom because it's a visual reminder of what uh, I may need to take. So if I see it, <laughs> I'll take it. Well, that's a problem. <laughs> well, I don't you mean need, overly you need so. A, you need a new management <laughs> system around. You're not going to win this one. I take You're very not. few prescription medications. It doesn't matter. But, even but if I you need keep to, your I need to remember. There. No. Well, you have a good point there. That's why it's so important to keep all your medications together. She threw me a bone. I like that. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. Okay. Either in a box or whatever. But it, no, these are just some of the things. But for caregivers in particularly, I mean, it's 
very difficult, especially if you're the one that's giving the medication. And what's wrong with the kitchen? Because that's where we keep the kids' medications. Well, we if there kids. is, if you keep it in a cupboard not near the stove where right. the heat, anything with right. heat no or heat. the sun, then that's okay. No, I would never put them near heat. Okay. Not in the sink, not, <laughs> not in, above the stove. <laughs> no, no. Next to the refrigerator. Not bad. Okay, possible. Oh, thank you. <laughs> What other issues come up? Because well, one of the ones that I know is a huge problem is remembering what to take, how much to take, how often to take, kind yes. of the regularity. And what, and what you can take with it or can't take with exactly. it. Exactly. It's very complicated if you're on more than one, and many seniors are. Right. No, it is very complicated. I mean, and this is why, I don't know if you call them a med box. Your pharmacist is your best, one of the best healthcare professionals that you have that's actually free. You can speak to them at the counter. You can call over the phone. And believe it or not, from our research, we found out that the pharmacist knows by far much more about medication than your doctor. Okay? They know what's going to interact or not. And so it's, it's very important, as you said, if you have a lot of medications, to make sure that it's in a med box, labeled so that you know. But if you're a caregiver, for example, one of the issues is what if there's a pill that's too big and your care receiver, your family member, can't take it? A horse pill. Okay. Do you cut it? Some people will cut it or put it in with liquids, right? It might not be the right thing because some medications should not be cut because they're not, it, it could be very harmful to you. Okay, so these are the kind of trainings, but the training also doesn't only talk about medication. I think in our society, especially what Carol just said for baby boomers as we age, you have to look at your stress. Stress is a killer. So we also talk about stress. We talk about the food that we consume, exercise. It's the whole holistic way of looking at our lives. And I want to say something it's never, ever too late to change. That's true. That's the theme for today. It's That's never true. Too it's never late too late, late to change. To change. Uh, in fact, WellMed offers uh, a course in stress busting. We uh, have offered a course, Matter of Balance, uh, a variety of different programs, uh, diabetes education. Uh, but it's the old you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. You've exactly. got to get people into those classes. Yes. I mean, that's That's true. Uh, but I feel that there's an openness now, much more than before, for people to want to kind of get together. And because of the Internet, everyone is kind of, lo I'm, you know, I'm not such a fan of the Internet because there's a lot of information out there that's really not, it's not real information. But I feel that people are really, are really, really trying to, to sort of get together and um, get information. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. that's part of the advantage, although it's not the Internet, is the teleconnection. Yes. Right. And, and so you, you mentioned the teleconnection. What do you call the program in Canada? We used to call it Caring Voice. Which was very cute. Caring, caring Voice. But we've expanded now, and now we are the Caregiver Network. So it's become much more than just a phone. It's, um, it's, it's become more technology. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to allow caregivers to sort of be able to find the information that they particularly need. So it's, it's a very different concept. I could talk about it forever. But it's, a, it's interesting how it evolved. And right now, I mean, we can service over, I think last statistics were 10,000 a month. I mean, it depends. You know, it depends. But it's really... People are out there looking for information, so we got to make sure that they get the right information. And is this an interactive service where people listen in, yes, can they call can, in, can access information? Yes, they register for free. It's all free. They register for free. Um, what we also do, we work with, or, with uh, local organizations, for example, the Alzheimer's Society. Okay, So they will develop some of the content and where their platform. And then we'll be able, people register, we evaluate it, we ask people, was it interesting, what did you get out of it? So we try to, you know, to kind of promote it and make sure that we're on the right topics. And I would say that, you know, we, we work with Lucy and um, with the Care uh, Caregiver Network in Canada, um, and we are follow, still following in their footsteps. I've always thought that, I don't know, maybe it's because of Lucy's work. 
um, Canada's a few steps ahead of us in some areas, and that's certainly one of them. So, you know, we, we encourage people um, to access, you know, the services in Canada Caregiver Network, and here we have Caregiver SOS and our Caregiver Teleconnection. And as you take a look at the growing number of people uh, who will need caregivers, uh, here in the U.S., projections are we're going to run out of caregivers in not too many years. True in Canada as well? No. I don't think I don't know what you mean by run. I def- are you talking about family members? Yes. Not or? enough family members and not enough okay. working professionals. Not enough people, you know, that Both. are trained. Right. Um, I don't think we've come to that point just yet. You know, I, I mean, when you talk about training, you mean training caregivers to do some of the work? Well, a direct care worker. So here it might be um, a, a nurse assistant, people that are in home work for coming okay. to the home and okay. take care of folks. Yes, a lot of people are retiring. It is a problem. Yes, yes. How do we solve that problem? How do we solve that problem? So what happens is, <laughs> what's happened back home is... I have to say, quite a few people decide not to retire to continue working, okay? I think one of the challenges in our center, we usually have between 200 and 250 internship young people that are coming into the field. We're really encouraging them to, um, to work with seniors. And how's the response been? I have to say that it depends now in the School of Social Work. We developed a whole new um, curriculum around caregiving, and it's become very popular. So, you know, we've made a lot of progress. That's interesting. How are we doing with that here? Well, we have much work to be done. I mean, we really do have a paradigm shift because of the baby boomers. There are so many of them, and we don't have enough kids, young people coming up behind us to serve as family caregivers. Our families are smaller. Um, and then we don't pay enough. We, we don't pay a living wage to people who work in um, prof- as professional caregivers for people to enter the field. That's a good point you make because I sort of take things for granted that we're all the same. Don't forget, back home, people are all unionized. Ooh, those are fun. I'm sorry to say that, but that means <laughs> that there's a certain salary scale that, you know, nobody's being taken advantage of. So if you are in a certain profession... Um, there's a certain a certain amount of money, salary that you receive. Well, I want to, before we run out of time, ask you a question. Um, in one of the meetings while uh, you were here this week, you mentioned that, what did you say, that there are no oh. difficult, <laughs> there are no difficult clients or no, no difficult family members. No. As far as I'm concerned, there's no difficult clients. There's only difficult situations. There's disease factors. And it's up to the healthcare practitioners to recognize that and not label people as being difficult. That's a bad client over there or, you know, this family member is so demanding. We don't have the luxury to do that. You have to be able to step back and look and see what are these people going through? Why is this person behaving the way they are? There must be a reason behind it. And I think that's one of the things that I strive for constantly and, and when I teach at the university to sort of make sure that, that are the new when we pass the baton on, that these young professionals understand that there really isn't a difficult client or a difficult patient. Why are they there? There's an issue. I can remember years ago talking to a, a sister and nun who was running Healy Murphy Center here, which is a, a school for kids who have had all kinds of problems. And she would say, there are no bad kids. There are kids who may do bad things. And that's how they approach that same issue. Right, right. But I'll just kind of say that um, I think that we still are far away from the whole notion of being ageist in our society. We're really very ageist in North American society. Discriminating against older in, in people. West, yes. Yeah, in Western society and we, in general. And we just assume that so, just because somebody is whatever, they're either senile. One of the things that we also talk about in the safe use of medication is that whole issue of, uh, of the, way we are, the way seniors are treated in our society. Which can be very negative. Very negative. Right. So you've got, you have um, seniors who are marginalized. You have caregivers who are invisible. Um, And so that's why all of this is sort of in the shadows, and we want caregivers to know that there is help available um, and that they do have rights. uh, And all of us uh, are concerned and care about our loved ones. We 
We, we give up a lot to take care of them. Got about a minute left. You all have a uh, website that people can go to and get information. Here we have caregiversos.org. Do you all have one, too? Yes, we have many, many, many <laughs> websites. Um, at the top of my head, I can't think of the caregiver network. Go to the, the, the caregivernetwork.ca. Yes. For Canada. For Canada yeah. but if I, you'd like to check it out. And, and I have to say that if anybody who lives in the States wants to get on it, it's, it's free of charge for anybody. Cool. Hey, thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. And we really enjoyed it. And she brought her daughter down to get a tour of the States. Yes, and she just loves. We're going to a hoedown tomorrow. Is that where we're going? Where are we Country going? Country Western Dancing hoedown. <laughs> it's all the same. <laughs> Jenna can't wait. <laughs> uh, well, ask Carol to take you flamenco dancing, too. So maybe you can arrange that. Thank you so much for coming in. Up Thank next, you. Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman, Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel on 930 AM, The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it, but with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikhoff, we come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. We really appreciate you sticking with us for Take 10 on Caregiver SOS On Air. At the end of each one of our shows, we invite Dr. Jamie Heisman to join us, a nationally known psychotherapist, an expert on caregiving and addictions, Carol Zerniel, and uh, meet Ron Aaron. And we demanded that Lucy Berlack stick around. She was with us uh, for this show, and she is in our studio as well. And will be with us on Take 10. And Carol has come up with a wonderful topic, one that I'm sure in her work in Canada with caregivers, Lucy has come across uh, the elder who is very controlling and domineering and really makes that caregiver go through you-know-what. Well, you know, this is a topic that probably sounds very familiar to many people. Um, You know, a lot of times we, we do have a parent that um, for whatever reason is turning down services, is chasing the aid from the home. No, I don't want her. Get her out of here. Um, And the more we try to help, the more, you know, verbally abusive they can get. Abusive, it might be abusive, um, but it might be just, you know, no, I want obstinate and, and really making it difficult for us to arrange any kind of care in the home. So, Jamie, why would somebody turn down help like that you know carol i think it goes both ways i think this is a fabulous topic certainly to talk about the controlling care receiver caree the elder who we're taking care of but don't forget an overbearing caregiver is also a great possibility to be too controlling too but as we talk about controlling we talk about the actual caree it's the same principle and you've heard me say it so often right that the the more out of control you are in your mind, the more controlling you get in your environment. So the, the issue is this. It's, a, it's almost a mirage. It's a semblance. When a person's fearful, of course, anybody with a chronic or terminal illness or somebody who's losing their independence becomes fearful, um, they then have a tendency to start controlling everything in their environment because they're actually feeling out of control. And that's the empathy that we have to feel as a caregiver or as a physician or anybody who comes within their orbit. Well, I see Lucy shaking her head. I I totally agree with you. I think that when we see someone who's lost a lot of things in their lives, a lot of physical ability to move, that's exactly what a lot of people do. The only way that they can keep any form of control is sometimes being obstinate or not wanting to. And I think... That's what I kind of feel about, even though this person appears to be very difficult uh, to deal with, 
you got to kind of stop and sort of say, well, what is this person really going? What are all the losses that they've had and how can you negotiate uh, to see how they can sort of be part of this whole like system, part of getting them to be involved in their own care? Right. So, you know, in other words, what you were saying, Jamie, is is we may not mean to be overbearing. Maybe we're being helpful, but, you know, maybe we need to power share. So you were talking about choices earlier today, mm-hmm. Lucy, and that idea of letting that that your your older parent, that loved one, mm-hmm. have some choice, you know, about maybe what type of person comes in the home, when they come in the home, what they do in the home. What can what power can you give back so that right. that older person doesn't feel like you've taken everything away? Absolutely. And Jamie, one of the things I I, I know you want to jump in with. Uh, is finding some third party to try to negotiate and help with this issue. Well, exactly, Ron. And, and the reason why I always want to jump in with that is because we all are so close to the forest that we really can't see the trees. And, you know, the issue in therapy or in any sort of psychological situation, and again, you've heard me say this, that you have to start where the person is at and not where you think they should be at. And as we deal with the, the, the person with a chronic or terminal illness, we we can start where they're at, and that place is, is a place of, of fear. And and so it, it's so critical for us to, to be able to do that. But if we can't do that, that's the beauty of finding a third party, a licensed social worker, a geriatric care manager. It's somebody who can, you can offload, if you will, most of the ghosts and goblins of, of early family <laughs> development and family of origin issues and have an objective third party come in who is trained to actually start where the person is at and deal with a controlling elderly parent. When you say family of origin issues, what do you mean? Well, you know, with all of us, of course, even those sometimes who are adopted, um, and I say adopted because family of origin may be their adoptive family, is that we create these ghosts and goblins and dynamics when we're a child. And, uh, you know, we can either become the, the people pleaser, the hero, the lost child, all the codependent roles in a household that may have been filled with chaos, or, you know, even a loving home that, that may have had, you know, issues with a chronic uh, illness in a, in a parent where behavior evolves around it. These are actually behaviors that are determined before you're actually seven years old. And we take them into adulthood, and, and unless we go into therapy and start dealing with these issues, you know, they, they haunt us. And when we become a caregiver or when we get fearful and have loss in, in front of us, Sometimes we return back to the child, and, and that's critical to, to point out. And that's where a third party can really understand, is, is it today we're dealing with, or are we dealing with issues that, from childhood that are unresolved? We're going to get Lucy's reaction to that, but first, for those of you who just joined us, let me tell you, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on Air's Take 10, which follows each of our shows right here on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, and in our studio today, Lucy Berrylak uh, from Canada, a social worker and expert on a variety of issues related to caregiving, and Dr. Jamie Heisman with us as well, a regular on Take 10. Lucy. Yes, I mean, it's very interesting what you're saying, Jamie. Uh, one of the things that also maybe we can sort of uh, touch on that comes up a lot is, we you know, we just assume that we are all loving families, and we're not. Uh, and sometimes relationships are really very poor to begin with, whether it's marriage or your children, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, uh, caregivers find themselves being a caregiver to someone who they have not had a very good relationship to begin with. And so the guilt kicks in. And then how do you support uh, a caregiver in that situation when really in reality they don't feel they have a choice? All right, Jamie. Yeah. So, what, how would you respond to that? Well, I think it's a it's a wonderful point, and, and guilt is a huge function of both caregiving and as well as uh, it's a huge issue with the care receiver. And we know again um, that guilt is directly correlated with one's self esteem. That the higher the self esteem somebody has, usually the lower the guilt they have, and obviously the higher the the um, the, the guilt factor. It, it's usually that we have to work on our self esteem. These are barometers of each other. And, and Lucy's, you know, spot on there. You know, as a child, we, we develop these roles uh, to, to actually exist in our families often. And, and they're very quiet. Nobody really knows about it unless you're in therapy. And, and again, as Lucy says, we assume that everybody's healthy. But, 
in my you know experience as a therapist, I would say about 95% of this country has some sort of codependency, which means they were raised in either too enmeshed household or too detached household, and these issues always pop up when one's caregiving or care receiving. Well, you also talk a lot about, uh, Lucy mentioned guilt, um, and you talk about guilt and uh, self-esteem, and what is it that you'd like to tell us about that? It's all about self-care, Carol, and I'm sure Lucy can elaborate on that and taking your oxygen first. Let's face it, when we say we're working on self-esteem, what is self-esteem about? It's about working on our mind, our body, and our spirit. It's about being able to stand on two feet instead of blowing in the wind on one leg and, and not having your footing. You know, it's about feeling good about oneself, and that doesn't come from any external sort of stimuli. It has to come from within. And therefore, as we take care of ourselves, we also lower our guilt factor. It's really incumbent upon us to take that responsibility as caregivers and care receivers. As you take a look at this area, uh, for the caregiver who may have uh, to deal with an elder person who may be overly demanding, uh, who may uh, at times seem unreasonable, uh, are there steps they can take to defuse that on their own? Well, I know Lucy will have her take. I will say just two words here, and I always say it. Support group. Big, big <laughs> issue, because often caregivers or care receivers isolate mm-hmm. themselves, and they become obviously in a spiral of shame and guilt, and they self-negative talk. And the beauty of a support group is you're going to find the situation and often the solution in other people reflecting back mm-hmm. to you if you're actually humble enough to listen. Give it back to Lucy with yeah. 15 seconds. I just think you have to be honest to yourself. And one of the things that I sort of really promote is that people need to have a choice, okay? It doesn't mean that everybody needs to be a caregiver. If the guilt kicks in, I think that's the, that's the point of all of this. It Perfect. really needs to have a choice. Thank you. Appreciate that. Lucy Derelak, Carol Zerniel, Dr. Jamie Heisman, I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.